Ah, Familia, I did not enjoy the Hellfire Gala this year, and we're going to break it down. Polaris in the comic books recently is depicted with her coffee. Like, what is your ideal morning coffee situation? When I do drink coffee, it's a black coffee hot with one Splenda. And I believe that's also what Lorna would drink in real life. A steady table. A steady table. I would, I would <laughs> love that. I would love that. Shout out to the Powers of X-Men podcast. I just brought yourself at Marvel Comics right now. The Pretender's Death, like the... What's up, Familia? Welcome to Power of X-Men, the podcast where we discuss a classic mutant reality warping caught in a dystopian future, high-octane, living in a world that fears and hates them, children of the Adam epic Marvel saga known as the X-Men. I'm Dayspring, and I'm here to talk about today why I didn't like the Hellfire Gala this year. <laughs> I'm sorry, Familia. I know. I know. We try to keep things very positive here at Power of X-Men. But one of the things that makes our community so special is that we can have conversations about things. And I think it's important to provide constructive feedback here. And listen, regardless of how I feel about the Hellfire Gala this year, it has been a slam dunk. Everyone is talking about it. So the Marvel editorial and marketing team should be extremely proud of themselves because everyone is talking about what happened at the Hellfire Gala. They had the San Diego Hellfire Gala event, and then this issue came out, and it's all all anyone is talking about right now in the comic book world. So the fact that the X-Men are front and center, I've said this before, the fact that the X-Men are front and center is always a good thing, right? The X-Men for a number of years, I want to say from like 2013 to 2018, were extremely marginalized at Marvel because of the film rights with Fox. The Disney Fox merger hadn't happened yet. And it was a dark time to be an X-Fan. If you were on Tom Brevoort's form spring, you know what I'm talking about. We were being trolled endlessly by not only other comic book readers, but by the Marvel editorial team. So it was really hard to be an X fan at that time, right? So we're going to get into my feels here for the Hellfire Gala. I did do a poll on Power of X-Men. I asked people if they thought the issue was epic if they were meh about it, or if they hated it. Now, only 8% were meh about it. 25% did not like it, thought it was awful. And 67% loved it. Ah! 
And I'd like to think that Power of X-Men is a good cultural sample for X-Men fandom in general. We welcome all kinds of fans, whether you're a new reader, whether you're a creator, whether you're just an MCU fan, whether you're a lifelong X-Men fan, what even if you just have heard of the X-Men, you, you knew there was some guy with like claws and some girl who can like conjure the elements, right? You are welcome to be a power of X-Men. You're welcome to our table and you can have an opinion. And one of the things that I love they, that we can have healthy conversations, but yeah, so 67% of you loved the Hellfire Gala. And that again is an incredible feat in a world that so many narratives, anything that anyone puts out there is so incredibly polarizing. 67% take it. Now, I want to be very clear upfront as we get into this issue. I am not at all angry that our God Queen Jean Grey has fallen. Amelia, again, if you're looking at this video, I'm hoping you understand spoilers afoot. But just in case you don't want any spoilers for the Hellfire Gala this year, you're getting a countdown warning. Three, two, one. I have said this before. If Jean is the only person standing between the extinction of mutant kind and Nimrod, and she falls trying to save mutant kind, mm, mm, perfect story. That is a wonderful story. I'm a big fan of Planet X and Here Comes Tomorrow. In fact, if I had it my way, Jean would still be in the white hot room as Phoenix operating on a cosmic level, only intervening in the most dire of situations because I love that our God Queen is so powerful. She transcends the mutant coil. So, you know, Jean Grey dying, I am completely fine with it. But, you know, there was a lot of death in this issue. And it was really hard to stomach a lot of it. I'm also really upset about the film rights. We're going to get into a conversation about the film rights and that 2014, 2018 era. And again, Familia, you guys are welcome to disagree with me. But let's dive into the issue and we're going to go through everything. And I'm going to talk about why I just didn't jive with the Hellfire Gala this year. So we kick off with that wonderful panel of Scott and Emma at the treehouse in New York and the cities in the background. They're talking about that Kamala is a mutant and Kamala is resurrected. And the big question is, what is her mutant power? So Miss Marvel being a mutant just does not land with me. But Paul, she was originally conceived as a mutant. They're just course correcting. Well, Storm was originally conceived as a cat, and there's been no course correction for that. And thank God there, there, there hasn't been. And the reason why Miss Marvel was told not to be a mutant was because at the time the Fox-Disney merger hadn't happened yet. So they made her an Inhuman because there was going to be a big push for the Inhumans. Originally, we were going to get an Inhumans movie, and that turned into more of a television event with limited IMAX release. And then an entire series on, I believe it was ABC. I don't know. I didn't really watch the Inhumans. I watched like the first like couple episodes, like everyone excited because at that point, Marvel did not have any missteps. And after a couple episodes, I was like, oh, this is not so good. The Inhumans tanking was a rarity for Marvel back in the day, just the FYI. But Kamala was not made a mutant. Instead, she was made an Inhuman. And to give you guys some context at the time, during 2014, 20, 2018, Marvel was really pushing the Inhumans to the point that there was a book called The Uncanny Inhumans, and the Terrigan Mist was circling the globe, turning just about anyone into an Inhuman. 
right? And what does that sound like to you? Oh, it sounds like when the X gene would just awaken in just about anyone and they would become a mutant. And the mutants were having an allergic reaction to the Terrigen Mist. And at the time, it's even addressed in story, there was talk about the Inhumans taking over and the X-Men would be going off-world into their own planet and that they were going to have separate stories. And the Fantastic Four were gone, right? And we got a retcon with Pietro and Wanda no longer being mutants. Now, it wasn't even just that Pietro and Wanda were no longer mutants. Any ties they had to Magneto, any familial ties to Magneto were completely severed. And we would go on Tom Brevoort's form spring and be like, wait a minute, just because she's no longer a mutant and biologically not Magneto's daughter or Magneto's son doesn't mean that they wouldn't have a relationship. And Tom Brevoort would just be like, meh, it doesn't matter what those aren't stories we're going to be telling. So again, not just from a IP standpoint, but from an in-story standpoint, we, we're not getting the House of M vibes that we're getting today. We're not seeing Lorna and... Wanda walking into the Hellfire Gala, right? We're not seeing Magneto hugging his children. We're not, we, we did not see any of that. We're not, we're not seeing, we, we're not seeing what we saw in that Wanda one-off in, um, in, on, on Marvel Unlimited that Steve Orlando did, where the entire House of M is having dinner together. That, that just was not in the cards. So it was a really dark time to be an ex fan. And now you're going to tell me just because Disney has the film rights to the mutants, Kamala is going to be retconned to be a mutant now. And she's going to be a hybrid mutant and inhuman. I think that's pretty insulting <laughs> because you guys put us through the ringer when it came to that. And it's just it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I'm a firm believer that the film rights should not dictate what happens in the comics. What really, where the, where the passion starts for these characters is in the comic book page. And when you, when you skew from the source material, people are going to get angry. People are going to fire off on the message boards. And it also just felt out of place in the story that you would just resurrect her here. And, you know, there was so much chatter that Zeb Wells was going to get so much hate that he wasn't even going to be able to appear at comic book conventions. But the death of Miss Marvel in Amazing Spider-Man was not well received. In fact, it wasn't that people were hurling so much hate. It's that people just didn't care for it. They didn't care for it. And why go through all the trouble causing that upheaval, having her die only to bring her back weeks later as a mutant I would have much preferred a story where Miss Marvel was on the battlefield and Emma's like, wait a minute, Kamala has an X gene or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, tell a really big, epic, cool story, not just a cop out with with death there. So, you know, straight up, I just didn't, I, I just don't like that retcon. That's just my opinion. I don't like that retcon. I'm happy that Miss Marvel is front and center. I like the character of Kamala Khan. She's one of my favorite new characters created in the last decade. If you need to think about her popularity, think about the fact that Alex from Modern Family had a poster of her in her dorm. And everyone was watching Modern Family back in the day. And the fact that Kamala Khan was there in the background speaks volumes to the cultural impact the character had. And she was well-received. Everyone loves her. Iman Vellani is perfect as her. I love the I love the Disney Plus series. I'm looking forward to the Marvels. I can always proudly eat my words. I was like, oh, the Marvels doesn't look so good. That last trailer they dropped looks incredible. So this isn't even just personal biasness against the character because I love the character and I would love for her to be an X-Man, but I want her to be an inhuman as an X-Man. <laughs> and, you know, just in the same way we had Medusa on the Fantastic Four, I think 
whether it was a publishing mandate that she could not be a mutant, she was still created as an inhuman. The stories we got with her were very inhuman focused. She was in Civil War too. She was front and center there. She has a wonderful origin story with ties to Carol. I really am worried that we're going to lose what makes Kamala special and why so many of us have loved the character in the first place. She has a blacked out bolt of the, you know, that's emblematic of her Captain Marvel Carol origins, you know, with, with her fandom for her, but she's, been largely decorated in X symbols, and that just doesn't jive with me with the character. But also, one of the big questions is, what what are her powers? And Rasputin, who comes from the future, comes and sees Miss Marvel and is like, oh my god, you're Miss Marvel, you're my hero, you're this legend from where I come from. And literally mere seconds before... Ms. Marvel was having a conversation about what are my mutant powers? Wait, here's someone from the future who's saying that you're a legend. Why don't you turn around to her and be like, wait a minute, you're from the future? Tell me what my powers are. And you could have cut the, the scene off right there. Kamala can know what her powers are. <laughs> the reader doesn't need to know it. But it just felt very lazy writing that she wouldn't ask the person from the future after pondering what her powers are. And the person from the future is like, hey, you're a legend from where I come from, that she wouldn't be like, wait a minute, what's my mutant power? Right. <laughs> and, you know, it, later on in the issue, when Xavier hijacks the minds of mutants and they're doing the resist protocols, and for those of you who probably don't know or, you know, forgot when they re re read the issue, the resist protocols are in place for certain mutants that if Xavier should become compromised and he uses his mind to control other mutants, certain people like Emma, the protocol was created for, funny enough, I did like that little tidbit. I thought that was pretty funny. But certain mutants are resistant to Xavier's control. So they're trained not to be telepathically hijacked by Xavier. Kamala is among them. So Kamala has already been given the keys to the kingdom <laughs> that quickly. When other mutants, when you have like a quarter of a billion mutants, like a quarter of a million mutants not trained in the Xavier Resist protocol, but Kamala was, it just felt a little out of place. You, you could have had a moment where Emma is able to resist Xavier and she looks at mutants like Kamala and is like, no. And like, Boom, right there. And it would fit with Emma's character that she would try to rescue a young mutant that's new to the fold, like Kamala, because Emma is all about protecting mutant youth and being a teacher. It would have been a great moment. Instead, we just see Kamala in the background saying, resist. And I'm like, really? She knows the resist protocols? Like, mm, no, sorry. And and that's what I'm going to say. I, I really feel like that was it, it just was kind of half-baked. So my next question is, where is Krakoan security? I have been saying this since the X-Force issue one, where Xavier was murdered, when people just dropped in the island and murdered Xavier, all the way through Mystique grabbing Destiny's protocols by just shape-shifting and going in and grabbing it. Mutant security wouldn't account for telepaths, time travelers, people who can phase, people who can shape-shift, people who can really alter reality it just seems the world building with krakoa has been very weak and i think krakoa as a concept is really great i hope krakoa does not go away i think jonathan hickman's relaunch has revived the x-men franchise but it's been lazy world building and again you have a massive 
Hellfire Gala event. This is the third year it's happened, three years. And there's no security in place for something like this. And I get it. Modoc hacked the Krakoan gates using horticulture, but it's the third Hellfire Gala. Horticulture has been around for three years in universe. They would not have accounted for something like this. <laughs> and also, you have Emma Frost, Jean Grey, and Professor Xavier at an event. I'm sorry. There's no contest. And I get it. They're, oh no, but they're, they're robots attacking. It doesn't matter. These are Omega level mutants. They can do whatever needs to be done. They would be ahead of the curve. And by the way, you can still write a, a story where they're bested, but make it cool. That's it. Like, why, why didn't we see anything unfold? Like, where what, where was any Krakoan security for this event? I'm sorry. The lack of Krakoan security really, really just makes me shrug. And again, if you want to play into the concept that the mutants are really arrogant now, because that's something that was addressed, that like you have new gods right now and that the mutants feel all high and mighty as a, as a culture, fine. I don't personally like that. I, I think you're you're losing what makes the X-Men special if they think they're all high and mighty. I believe Cyclops had a line in a previous issue where he's here like, man, we have redone society and we are still fear and hated. I believe that was in Judgment Day. And I was just like, that is, that is what make the X-Men special. But again, that's just my opinion on the matter with Krakoan security. But to also pull on the thread I said earlier, the Marvel Universe has aged three years now officially. And I know this is me being nerdy and 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 being and being kind of a nitpicker here, but the X-Men are immortal. The rest of the Marvel Universe is not. So Steve Rogers, Black Widow, Tony Stark, Miss Marvel, Wiccan, Hulkling, etc., are presumably all three years older. And I don't know, like why why create that fiasco for you editorially when people are already so obsessed with how many years the Marvel Universe has been around? Why why now add to the fold that three years is officially on top of whatever people have been speculating? So, you know, I believe. We had Jordan D. White on the podcast a couple of years ago, and he said that with that sliding timeline, the Fantastic Four would have gone up into space when Obama was president. And I believe this was 2021 when we had him on the podcast. So to think that three years have also been added to that, it's like, boom, it's just, you know, sometimes I what, what, I, what, I, what I say with the sliding timeline, you just... It's one of the things that you just have to accept if you're going to be participating in this shared universe that has been around for a very, very long time, especially for the X-Men just celebrating 60 years. You just have to accept there's a sliding timeline and that there's no definitive markers with time. But the only thing that is, is the Hellfire Gala. We now know Krakoa has been around for three years. Everyone in the Marvel Universe is three years older. Again, with the X-Men, it doesn't matter because the X-Men can be resurrected and are immortal, and they can come back at whatever age they want, but the rest of the Marvel Universe cannot. So I want to get into the deaths now, and they were very grotesque. I felt very icky walking away from this issue. I love horror, but to see your favorite character slaughtered, it just it felt very ultimatum for me, right? The end of the Marvel Ultimate Universe 
it just felt like that. It just did not inspire good feels. And again, I, I'm a big horror fan. I love horror and I love Game of Thrones. Well, I don't love Game of Thrones, but I participated in the cultural phenomenon that was Game of Thrones. And I love the Red Wedding. Get, 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 give us a Red Wedding style massacre. I love that. And that's what we got, but I just don't think it was well done. You know what I mean? And we'll get into it. I just, I want to get into the deaths here, but one of the things I do want to point out is that death editorially was not supposed to matter for the mutants anymore. And the idea that the resurrection protocols were created was to force the writers to tell stories that did not involve death. That death was not a stake. However, that has not been the case. I feel every event, every big story that we've got in the Krakoan age has dealt with death. It started with the Ten of Swords crossover, right? Where if you died in Otherworld, you were dead in, in, in the real world or your protocols will come back scrambled. Like, why why create that? Why why create that? You know, we had Judgment Day where everyone was killed. And, you know, now we're resurrecting Steve Rogers. And, you know, Marauders, Kitty dying because she wasn't, you know, because she couldn't phase through the gate. She couldn't go through the gates and they couldn't bring her back. It was a big question mark. There are all these plot points involving death. And I just, I need them to move on from just killing people. So, I, I'm fine that, you know, if this would have been a situation where Marvel has been planning the Hellfire Gala massacre for three years, which is what we know they've been doing, but they hadn't touched the idea of death since. And now we're like, oh, shit, you know, the X-Men death hasn't really mattered. And now all of a sudden they're all slaughtered. I'd be like, OK, that's you created a stake here, you know, and what do the X-Men do now? They thought they were immortal, but they are, in fact, mortal. That is a really great story idea but again they've been dealing so much with death and that as a stake in story that it just seems kind of frivolous and also i think we all can agree that all the deaths here will be retcon at some point and the universe would be what is going to be set right you know two of the deaths here we already have confirmation that the characters will be back but let's let's dive into the deaths here because i thought some of them were pretty lame and very disrespectful to the characters and it all started with them announcing the new X-Men team. Ah, oh my God, this is like the best X-Men team ever. You have Cannonball, you have Dazzler, you have Prodigy, you have Jubilee, you have Juggernaut. Anyone who was up for the X-Men vote are now officially part of the X-Men. Great team. And then seconds later, Nimrod comes and slaughters them. And it's, ah! So, you know, when I think about what makes classic X-Men stories so special, something like, let's say, the Phalanx Covenant is that you have characters at the time that weren't the A-listers. You had Emma, you had Jubilee, you had Banshee, and you had Sabretooth trying to course, trying to save the world from the phalanx. And it was just so much fun to see these characters, these B characters, shine. I would have loved to have seen these team. I would have loved to have seen this team shine. And for them to be slaughtered like that, I mean, it just felt so disrespectful. Jubilee has a line where she's here like, oh, look, a shooting star. Really? Jubilee is a seasoned member of the X-Men. Jubilee has been on Generation X. She has lived through countless events. She was a vampire at one point. She lived being through the Twilight era of X-Men. But for her to just be like, oh, duh, look at a shooting star and not say something like, guys, incoming. You know what I mean? It just it felt so disrespectful to the character. And 
I don't know, the image of like frenzy being decapitated, Dazzler and and and, and Prodigy being sliced in half. Like Prodigy's lower body is just a skeleton when we see it. Oh my god and fun fact dazzler and cannonball are supposed to be immortal they're not supposed to die are we going to see in later issues like half dazzler and half cannonball be like we're still alive this is literally canon to their characters dazzler cannot die cannon uh, cannonball is an immortal what the heck and they were just wiped out it was as easy as dropping a robot from space to kill them it was just awful and what was the point of the x-men vote this year i mean I think CBR was reporting that Juggernaut was a winner and Juggernaut has, you know, obviously a moment in this issue. Is he even alive? I think he looked pretty dead to me when Nimrod was saying I had to beat his brains out. I took it as a character is dead, but we do see a cover with him versus Firestar. So did he just win the vote and he's going to go on? Is, is that what it is? But my God, like the X-Men vote this year, first of all, no one was talking about it after it happened. And secondly, like, you did all of that just so the characters can die like this. Oh, I don't know. It just did not inspire really good feelings for me. And I think Frenzy would have put up a big fight against Nimrod. I don't think she would have been decapitated like that. I would have loved if Nimrod came in and Frenzy went like that. And then like the sonic boom from him deploying from space echoes, you know, reverberates throughout the gala. And Gene has to hold it together. Like show them, show them being a team. Show the X-Men being cool. Not just like Nimrod stomping on them. It just did not feel good to me. That's it. And Bobby's death, oh my goodness, he just melted away. And Kind of lame. I'm sorry that he's just like punctured with something, uh, a heat serum or whatever, and he melts away. And why wouldn't people be like, well, Bobby, you know, can turn into air. He evaporates as part of his powers. You know what I mean? He has his mini coming back. So we're not going to dwell too much on that. But we do know his death isn't permanent because he has a mini coming up. And I don't think he's going to come out of this unscathed. He's really, he's obviously going to be severely traumatized. But yeah, Bobby's death. I mean, just seeing his skin or his ice, you know, melt off his face. Ah, oh, it, it's a haunting image. It's a haunting image. And similarly with Mystique. I mean, we're talking Mystique is a a class assassin. And I get it. She's resisting Xavier. She's resisting his takeover. And Destiny's like, no, just come through the portal. And she's ignoring Destiny. She's like, no, 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 no. Ah! And she screams and she falls out the window, falls on the ground bleeds out, and then the ocean takes her away. First of all, I don't believe Mystique is dead that easily. But I also think that is so lame that an assassin like Mystique would just fall out a window and die. And then to see Dr. Stasis laugh at her, go, ha! It just, ah, I don't know. You could disagree with me, but I feel that is extremely demoralizing for the character, for a character like Mystique, who is always, I, I say this about Batman, Batman's superpower is that he's the world's greatest detective. What he lacks in superpowers, he makes up for it with wit and intellect. I will say the same thing for Mystique. She's not supposed to be a powerhouse. She's just a shapeshifter. What Mystique lacks in power, she makes up for being cunning and stealth. I do not believe that she would not have listened to Irene, and I do not believe that Xavier hijacking her mind, she would have been like, oh, and falls out a window. That lame. And speaking of lame, Jean Grey's death. Very lame. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast already. There have been people in comments who disagree with me. That's fine. You can disagree with me. But the fact that Gene just gets stabbed in the back and does not 
fall fighting Nimrod for me is one of the most missed, biggest missed opportunities out there. Now, you're, but Jean could easily destroy Nimrod. Fine. She probably could, but this is Nimrod. Nimrod is responsible responsible for the biggest dystopian future for the X-Men. He is a premier A-list bad guy. He came to the Hellfire Gala. He murdered her teammates. Jean should go up against him, and Jean can fall going up against him. Listen, Jean is fighting against Nimrod. Jean's children come from dystopian futures. Rachel's from the Days of Future timeline. Let Jean say something like, you will not ruin the future for my children, and start pounding on Nimrod. And again, she can fall. She can fall falling against Nimrod, but give that character, give that motivation. Not only is Nimrod coming in and wiping out everyone at the Hellfire Gala, but Nimrod, this is personal for Jean because her kids come from a future where the humans have won, the Sentinels have taken over, and her own daughter had to travel back in time to the 616 universe to find salvation. This is personal for Jean. But what happens in story is that she's holding everyone together and Moira comes in through the gates and just stabs her in the back. And the counter argument has been, well, Jean was distracted, you know, holding everyone together. We've seen Jean, Teen Jean, perform incredible feats that are at Phoenix level. We've seen that Jean can turn into big pink energy. Right. And go supernova without the Phoenix. The fact that Moira can just come up from behind her with with a knife laced with other World War Juju that inhibits her power, which I don't even understand. So if it inhibits her power, how is she telepathically communicating with Firestar? That does not make sense to me. If that is supposed to sever all of her telepathic and telekinetic powers to allow her to die, why is she still communicating telepathically with Firestar? I know that is a very nitpicky detail, but if we're going to get into the weeds of it, it just did not make sense. I would have preferred Jean to have been like Nimrod taking this outside, taking you out of the Hellfire Gala, and she can fall. She can fall to Nimrod. Maybe, and, and if and if you like the, the story where she is being stabbed by Moira, fine. She is distracted using all of her power against Nimrod, and Moira comes up behind her and stabs her, but I just don't believe that Jean would have died that easily. And again, I loved Here Comes Tomorrow on Planet X. I think giving her a planetary stroke was also very lame. So this comment is just not exclusive to Jean here. We we saw in Phoenix and Song, and again, you can argue that she, she was imbued with the Phoenix, and that is a fine counter-argument. But in Phoenix and Song, they had to create an event horizon just to kill Jean. And I would imagine they should have done something like that here. They could have done something like a black hole blasted at Jean as she gets sucked into it or mangled, murdered, if you want to go for that grotesque you know, imagery. But why did she turn into a skeleton at the end? Like, Was it the other world juju? I thought the other world juju was only supposed to take away your powers, but apparently it turned her into a skeleton. And that just did not make any sense to me. Lourdes's death, you know, I thought that was also really sad. But one of the things that I, I loved about it, to say something positive, I love that Emma kind of held her on it. But again, I would have liked to have seen Jean and Emma together in this fight and Jean falling and Emma being like, no, we can't lose you again. Like when Jean is dying, let Emma hold her and be like, no, Jean, we can't lose you again. Who's going to be my arch nemesis? And Jean saying something sassy, like, oh, don't worry, Emma, you're so unlikable. You know, like have these strong character beats for the characters, lean into what make them personal, these really, really defining relationships.
I think with the deaths, there was more plot than there were emotional character beats. Right. And you can say, well, you know, there's that panel where they say that they hurl into battle because the children of the Adam scene gene struck down, caused a ride in them. And that's fine. But she's, you know, with with Firestar and we'll get into Firestar a little later in this episode. But I would have liked Xavier to be like, no, Gene, not again, Gene, no. Or Emma being there. And, you know, it's what really matters with these characters are the interpersonal relationships. So I thought that was very severely lacking here, with the exception of Lourdes and Emma. I thought that was a very tender scene because Emma has gone out of her way to protect Lourdes, to make sure that Lourdes was saved from Sebastian Shaw placing her, hiding, placing her in hiding. I just, I wish we had gotten more from it. Is Juggernaut dead? I don't know. It, it shrug. Yeah, you know, he looks dead to me in this issue. I we see him in a cover as we discuss. Maybe he won the vote, and that's you know the vote winner. But he looked dead to me. So the issue ends with Kitty falling through the gate, and her being like, "You boys aren't going to be behaving, are you?" And it kind of cuts. It was kind of like a weird way to end the issue. I get it. The it's like the post credit scene, the post issue scene, and Kitty. We've had a big question mark of why she can't phase through the gates, but now she can phase when no one else can use the gates. So that's more the cliffhanger ending. But again, we know that that Kitty is going to be fine. We know Bobby is going to be fine. He's in Antarctica. <laughs> presumably healing, and that Jean's whereabouts in the Fall of X map are unknown. And as we've discussed, we don't believe she's dead. We believe she's in the white hot room. So, you know, right off the bat, those deaths feel really inconsequential. But the one thing I do want to talk about as well is the meat grinder comment that Xavier's like, all the mutants that I forced through the gate, that quarter of a million mutants, it was like pushing them through a meat grinder and they're all dead and they're all gone. Wow. I mean, that is a lot to process. But also, I don't believe those mutants are dead. You don't kill a quarter of a million mutants off screen, right? We know Irene went through it. We knew we know the realm of X characters went through it and the five have gone through it. I don't believe for a second those mutants were put through a meat grinder. But even taking the story at where it is, that is a grotesque image, and it does not make me feel good like that. I don't know how you solve the world's mutant problem if you want to do an extinction-level event in the comics. I, I'm happy to sit down and brainstorm it, you know, but I would imagine putting them in camps just like in Days of Future Past, just like Bishop's Future is probably where I would have gone with the story that mutants are being rounded up and put into camps. I, I think that's a much more powerful story that sends a signal that even as the mutants were thriving, they are still hated and feared by humanity. And you can literally lean into that angle. I know it's been done before, but I think saying that you're putting the mutants through a meat grinder, oh gosh, the image alone is really, it's really tough for me to metabolize. And also from an editorial standpoint, again, you're just not going to kill them off screen like that. If you're going to tell some good storytelling, you're going to show these mutants being slaughtered, going through and be like, wait, what's happening to me? And they incinerate, right? But it was very hard to, to read that from Xavier. I also think Xavier was kind of being hysterical, and that's fine, but hysterical, you know, given the circumstances is okay. But I think he would have leveled himself out a little bit once he reached Krakoa. I don't believe it, it just felt too quick when he was here like go row go avenge i think they would have taken a moment to to breathe 
recoup and, and sort of start assessing what's happening. I think just like we saw Emma and the team that went to the Hellfire Club in New York, how they sort of took a moment and a beat there to like reconvene and be like, okay, what are what 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 do we have to do here? And again, I think a moment like that, they use kind of humor where Emma tried to walk through the gate and her nose, you know, got got it got hit and she was bleeding. Poor Emma and her nose. But you know, uh, Emma is always getting punched in the face and she always needs a new nose job, sight new new X-Men. But I feel like instead of humor there, I, I would have used some more strong character beats like Emma saying, oh my God, Jean is dead. Oh my God, the Hellfire Gala. I, I would have taken that moment there. That's just my personal approach there. That is, that's just my personal approach. But I'll talk about what I did like on, on that level. On, on that note, I will talk about what I did like. I did like Emma being like, I just need to get through the gate. I just need to be within distance of uh, of the gala, and I'm going to give everyone a stroke. I do believe that Emma would have composed herself and would have thought about firing back. I 100% thought that, and I love that about Emma. I like the, the story with Jean and Firestar. I think it was very beautiful that Gene was like, mutants have always been feared and hated, and now you're going to be feared and hated as well because she's implanting Firestar as a informant. And everyone thinks that Firestar is a traitor. And so Gene's like, you have to be strong. We are all X-Men. To be a mutant means that we have to fight. Loved it. And again, I love that Gene is always thinking ahead. I love that Jean is the heart and soul of the X-Men. I love that Jean is always self-sacrificing because as she said, as as she said in the issue, she said she should have gone to Dr. Stasis's mind and wiped his memory out. But instead, she has to be better than that. We have to be better than that. We have to, we've almost lost it all tonight, but there is a hope. There is a chance here. And I thought that was very, very beautiful. I also like Nimrod. I, I love Nimrod as an event. I think all you need to know about the House of X era was in that original series where they're like, this is where Nimrod comes online. Nimrod is a huge threat to the mutants. He's always been off in the future, right? But the fact that he's now coming online and that that dystopian future that the mutants have tried to avoid is now a possibility because Nimrod's coming on, online. Perfect storytelling. I think... Rightfully so, the mutants should be terrified of Nimrod, and Nimrod is an extinction-level threat. So I did like that very much. And I, you know, evil Moira. Moira is very Moira is very evil in this in this in this issue to the point that I don't think she's irredeemable. I keep thinking, how are you going to redeem a character like Moira because she was a beloved Genesis in the '90s who was a human ally, and now I I love that she has been unveiled as secretly being a mutant, living multiple lives, seeing that the mutants always lose. But, and Moira, let me tell you, it's Mystique and Destiny's fault. I mean, we saw that in one of her lives where Destiny is like, I, my powers will emerge before you. I will see you coming. And then, like, literally, she is burned by Mystique and, and Destiny. So, you know, Irene and Raven, they have caused this whole mayhem with Moira. I mean, come on. Like, can that at least be addressed? You know, regardless of how what her motives are and how she's sort of where she's gone, I mean, she really hates Xavier and she really hates the mutants. And she is irredeemable at this point, as far as I'm concerned. There is no way you can redeem her. She this is like Cassandra Nova level. You cannot redeem a character like this. And 
It's not personally what I would do with the character if she were in my hands from a writing perspective, but I can appreciate how evil she is. I mean, she's literally holding a knife, saying, Xavier, you're mine, you're, you're next, you're next. And, you know, it's she's maniacally evil, and that's, that serves for some good storytelling. I love to hate Moira now, and I wish I didn't, because I love Moira with the legacy virus, being the only human with the legacy virus, but... That's something else I wish that they would tackle. Was what's going on? With, what was going on with Moira? I wish we did get at that Moira series that had been alluded to, where it would explore Age of Apocalypse, where it would explore her having the Legacy Virus, where it would explore her dying, seemingly dying in during the Revolution era. But you know, it's fine. We didn't get it, and this is a version of Moira we're getting, and she's pretty spectacularly evil. All right, Familia, this is going to be the last review-style episode we're going to dedicate to the Hellfire Gala. I think I've made my piece as to why I didn't like it. I appreciate and am very excited that so many people have loved the issue. Slide into the comments. Again, just be respectful. Have an engaging discourse. Let's not hurl insults at people. It's okay to disagree. It's 100% okay to disagree on my feels or anyone else's feels, but let's just keep it civil here. I want to know why you love the Hellfire Gala. I want to know why you didn't like it. Drop those feels in the comments, and we're going to be covering more Hellfire Gala fallout in the podcast in the coming days.